Welcome to Changeling the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game Changeling the Dreaming. I'm one of your hosts, Josh, and with us is Puka. Greetings. Today we're going to give you a brief summary on what Changeling the Dreaming is and what you might need to know about it to understand going forward what we're talking about we're talking about the game sort of a crash course for anyone who hasn't played it before but is thinking about traipsing down that primrose path yes i'm trying to remember what a primrose is it's like a regular rose but a little more uptight uh okay that makes sense uh yeah so uh what is changing the dreaming puka well i'm glad you asked um, Changeling the Dreaming is a role-playing game that was released by White Wolf Publishing back in the Halcyon days of July 1995. Uh, it was the fifth game in their World of Darkness line, which had been launched back in 91 with Vampire the Masquerade. And the World of Darkness, for anyone who's unfamiliar with it, is sort of meant to be like our world, but as the name implies, a little bit darker. Life is a bit harsher, people die a bit more easily, misery and cruelty are even more commonplace than in our own world, and so forth. The ethos of the game was uh, gothic punk, and this was their way of describing this combination of the sort of bleak romance of modern goth culture with the rebellious action of punk. Uh, Vampire's tagline was also a game of personal horror. So kind of combining all those features, um, it it was a big hit. People wanted to play vampires, even though they had sort of traditionally been the villains in games like Dungeons and Dragons, which then, as now, was sort of the giant in the field. And also, uh, you had books and movies like Anne Rice and all of the sort of derivative vampire stuff around at the time. So vampires were in. Anyway, uh, the success of Vampire inspired other games in the line, some of which had been planned from the outset, some of which developed soon after. And they were released uh, one after another each year. So Werewolf the Apocalypse followed in 92, Mage the Ascension in 93, Wraith the Oblivion in 94, and then Changeling in 95. And the themes of each game reflected this notion of playing a supernatural character of one type or another. So whereas Vampire was supposed to be personal horror, uh, had the infamous line, a beast I am, lest a beast I become, you then had rage in the face of hopelessness for a werewolf. In Mage, it's more about struggling against both internal and external corruption to reach enlightenment. And then Wraith, where you play a ghost, it's about resolving unfinished business and not being consumed by oblivion as you, you know, finish your afterlife. So are you saying, Puka, that, uh, sorry, that Changeling is a horror game? Oh, yes. Well, Changeling is also a beautiful game. And part of the beauty is its mutability. And The central conceit of Changeling is that you're playing a fairy and a human body. And your character has this fairy soul that has been incarnated in human flesh, and that enables you to survive in the harsh modern world of reason and modernity. So it's a little bit different from the traditional folklore idea of the Changeling. So you're not necessarily... uh, the fairies didn't necessarily abduct a child and leave you in its place. That's more the purview of Changeling the Lost, uh, which is a separate later White Wolf game, which we might talk about at some point, but not at the moment. So yes, Changeling is a horror game, but it's so much more because it deals with beauty and dreams and nightmares and madness and wonder and heartbreak and keeping your inner self alive in the face of all odds. Uh, It focuses more on adventure and kinship rather than the sort of melancholy feel that some of the other games had. 
And for that reason, a lot of people felt that it didn't really fit into the world of darkness. But uh, I often say that when people say it's not dark enough or it's not a horror game, that's really just you know people not using their imagination. Because fundamentally, Changeling is about dreams. And if you can dream it, it can be in Changeling. And, so all of the horrors you could possibly imagine. And, and saying there's no bleak melancholy in Changeling is kind of ironic because one of the core tensions of the game is fighting against the bleak melancholy precisely (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's it's very much a eat drink and be merry because tomorrow you may forget that you're a fairy and spend the rest of your life working in a cubicle kind of game Mm -hmm. so and that is i think it's a very existential uh dread kind of horror it's not the sort of blood and guts of werewolf or vampire uh and it's not the sort of lovecraftian madness that mage can have and it's not the sort of uh well i suppose wraith is kind of a bureaucratic existential dread as well but changeling is much more wraith's got all kinds of horror too yes right yeah yes in any case so changeling was released in 1995 there was a series of books at the same brisk pace as the other White Wolf lines for the first couple of years, up until a second edition was released in August 1997. But not long after that, it became clear that White Wolf couldn't sustain the pace that it had been going at. It was sort of publishing at this breakneck rate, releasing dozens of books a year, and with everything going on in the gaming industry at the time, as, as well as the publishing industry, um, it just couldn't continue. So the World of Darkness began to wind down, Wraith ended in 1999, and Changeling was relegated to Art House, and that was a uh, label, an imprint that White Wolf created for these sort of games that didn't have quite the same size audience as the big three of Vampire, Werewolf, and Mage. Notably, even though Changeling's fan base was smaller, it was very active and very closely knit. This is around the time when I got started with the game, and I remember very fondly uh, being on the forums online and just the massive amount of community spirit there was. Anyway, slightly bittersweet. So it's actually my help, my like heydays of how much I was involved in changing the dreaming was right during this period. So it was a great time to be alive. Mm-hmm. But then the delays started to stack up. Uh, books were promised that never materialized, and effectively the game fizzled out by 2002. There was a chapter in the book Time of Judgment to wrap up some loose threads. That was the last book in the World of Darkness as a whole because White Wolf had decided to wrap it up to make room for new games. There was also a Dark Ages Fey book in 2004, and then Changeling the Lost Round from 2011 to, or 2007 yeah. to 2011. And just before you, the Mage, the podcast fans get in, the technically, yes, there were some more Mage books after that point, but we're not talking about those yes. in this podcast. <laughs> At least not yet. Mm-hmm. They might come up. Yes. We'll see. So the sort of silver lining to that um, that history is that After White Wolf folded as a publishing company, due to reasons that I won't get into, but you can easily find on the internet, um, Rich Thomas, who had been the creative director, launched Onyx Path. And Onyx Path is the current publisher that does old, or I guess the new incarnation of old World of Darkness games, uh, including Changeling. There had been a lot of success bringing back Vampire in a 20th anniversary edition, and so each of the major lines was brought back, including with Changeling in 2017. Mm -hmm. Since then, there were a few supplements, but for the last couple of years, with the exception of the 
active fan community and some homebrew supplements that pop up from time to time, the game has effectively been dormant again. So there is still Changeling the Lost, also produced by Onyx Path. And, you know, who knows? At some point in the future, maybe we'll see another edition of Changeling. But for the time being, that's the state of affairs. Yes. So that's, yeah. Uh, yep. And just to clarify, in case people, it's not that Onyx Path owns Changeling the Dreaming, but they are licensed. They have been the ones producing it from the White Wolf IP. Which is currently owned by Paradox. Yes. It's a very twisty path of who owns what to do things. Yes, and especially if we throw in prequels to the books that came out, games that came out before the World of Darkness. My brain can't accommodate that level of time fuckery. So, there's some uh, key terms used in the game. So, the first one would be glamour, which is the raw creative energy and inspiration and many other things that changelings are thrive on and possibly created out of, or at least the fey part of them. Exact metaphysics can get a bit muddy, but that's it's it's the creative inspiration and spirit and a bunch of other things that drives changelings. Which is contrasted with banality, which is the force of sameness and stasis and doldrums and stop playing and do your homework and all of that sort of oppressiveness that uh routine you know we have uh kiths which are what kind of fairy are you basically um there's i can't remember how many are in the current core book loads but loads and then the (laughs) well there's the main ones i think there's over a hundred canonical kiths across everything but you don't need to know all of those to play the game by any stretch there's probably ones i've never heard of yeah from the point where we're starting there are nine and then in the i believe the core kiths in the 20th anniversary edition there are 13 and then dozens more scattered throughout the line yeah so kith is one of the defining features of the characters in the game another defining feature is the seeming Uh, so there are childlings wilders and grumps childlings are children essentially wilders are adolescents and young adults and grumps are older adults And at each life stage, changelings kind of embody different facets of their creative energy and their face self and have different outlooks on their place in the world. Yeah. And for people going in for the 20th anniversary edition, it did change that less from being an age and more being an outlook, but it's still very core to the character. I think life stage is a good good way to frame it. Just um, that works. Yeah. Less dependent on chronological age and just more on mindset. Mm hmm. So next there's main mien. That's one of those words I'm always having trouble with. I say mean. Mean? That's a new yeah. one. Okay. It's <laughs> so there's your fey mien or whatever. It's how you appear to other changelings and the enchanted and camera and whatnot, as opposed to your would you say autumn mien or is it like a different thing? Human. Human mien. Changelings have a bit of a. It's one of the dual. It's one of the many dual natures that changelings have. Is contrasting sort of looking like a human and looking like a fairy, essentially. Both of which they can perceive about each other. Mm-hmm. In addition, they also have their fey magic, uh, which is called arts. So each art kind of deals with a different um, traditional fey powers to an extent, and then other more esoteric powers. So you have things like chicanery which deals with illusions and emotional manipulation 
Uh, you have Legerdemain, which deals with moving things around. Wayfair deals with traveling quickly. Uh, later on, you get things like Oniromancy, which is messing with people's dreams, or Pyretics, which is working with fire, etc. And then there's the realms, which determine also part of the magic system, what determines what can be affected with an art. So you have Actor, which is humans and things that aren't really fae. You have fae, which are fairies, like the changelings or chimera or all sorts of other things of the dreaming, including arts themselves. You have nature, which are like the natural world. You have prop, which is human constructed things. And I believe it's the, the, the scene and time, which are considered modifier realms, at least in later editions, or determining like area effect or delaying your cantrip or things like that. I think I got all the realms. Yes. Time is more chronological fuckery. Mm -hmm. Plus there's also the Kronos art of chronological fuckery. Yes. So they work great together. And when you put them together, you create a cantrip, which is a fairy spell, essentially. Uh, it often involves performing mm -hmm. some kind of action called a bunk to bring the magic into being, and off it goes. Yes. And then you have the dreaming, which is the changeling the dreaming it's pretty core to the game it's both another realm uh the other world if you will or other worlds really and it's also the driving spirit behind glamour and the dreaming and changelings it's alive it's seems to want things but it's not really a thing you can just sit and have a chat with i like to think of it as having a symbiotic relationship with the collective human imagination as well like, it's hard to say which came first, human dreams or the dreaming, and which is responsible for which, but they're closely mm -hmm. intertwined somehow. There's also the mists, which is an effect that is presumably generated by the dreaming that cloaks the presence of fairies from, uh, from mortals and the unenchanted. So whenever someone goes into the dreaming and has adventures, when they come back to the autumn world, they can't quite remember exactly everything that happened it's a bit clouded like a dream uh, and it serves to really protect changelings from those who might try to hunt them down or threaten them with disbelief and you have trods which are pathways that can take you to and from and within the dreaming such trods as the silver path which is a pathway created by the forerunners of the changelings shall we say potentially and you have the paths of balor and you have other types of paths that go all sorts of weird which ways that are fun to navigate and have interesting consequences to try to stay on the try to stay on a path if you're going to follow it though it's probably for the best or trod if you will and one of the places that trods might go is let me see if i can do like a vocal effect by covering my mouth near the microphone arcadia i hope that worked um that worked well yeah Awesome. So Arcadia is the fabled homeland of the Fae, uh, which they have been separated from for centuries. Uh, it is a mythic place, but some feel that it's not quite all it's cracked up to be. And when you've been locked out of it for hundreds of years, it starts to seem a little bit less important than, you know, making a good life for yourself on Earth. But uh, yeah, it's supposed to be full of sparkling towers and palaces and endless gardens and all kinds of pretty amazing sublime stuff yes and we've checked going to that region of greece does not actually get you there unfortunately alas going to the moon might but that's a conversation for another time yes uh there's the autumn world which is the world of darkness it's 
I'd say our world, except for we're talking about the world of darkness here, so it's slightly different, but it's the place that has cars and buses and jobs and family dinners and clipboards. Yeah, clipboards, bank accounts, flow charts, uh, uh, grocery stores, dirt. Yeah. Water. Um, well, there's water in other places too, but it's, you know, got boats, cardboard boxes, yeah, cardboard boxes. I mean, we can make a whole, we can make a list. Uh, cold iron. It's probably yes, one of the yes, few yes. places you'll find cold iron. Cold iron is bad for changelings. Take note. Yes. So the autumn world is contrasted with the world of the chimera or chimera or however you choose to say it, which are the sort of free floating dreams and dream creatures that are present in the autumn world, but don't really interact with it much or at all, depending on which edition of the game you're looking at. And changelings can perceive this chimerical reality sort of overlaid with the autumn world. I tend to think of it almost like Pokemon Go, where you see the world around you, but then there's sort of additional elements to it that get overlaid. And it's related to the level of glamour and dreaming energy that's been instilled into things like places of of great creative import or places of power yeah and, and if whenever i win my uh win the big jackpot lottery i'm definitely licensing that as an arg excellent look around yes and also the chimerical reality one thing it's actually there it's not just immaterial it's it's there just yeah an argument often shows up <laughs> you can't always interact with it but it's there mm-hmm and then we have the Kithane, which are the core book Kith, essentially, in the book. They're the the default setting, as in the one that sort of provides the most, or really much of any information on where to play, is in the US and Canada. It's called Concordia. And the Kithane are like the dominant Kith of there, the colonizer Kith, if you will, for the most part. You could even argue that's not quite right. But yes, it's the it's the default types of changelings that you would play in the one that's however many, whichever core book, how many you have, but that's sort of the default there. The Euro-American sort of yes. branches of the family. There's one that's not Euro-American. It's everything but Euro-American. True. American. Which we can get into in terms of problematic 90s White Wolf stuff. But uh, yes. in any case, the Kithane are contrasted with the Galane, which I... I mean, there is a mechanical distinction between the two in the game, but I, I think of it primarily as a social and political one. The Kithane just call anyone who's not a Kithane a Galane, and the Galane are like, mm-hmm. we're totally fine having our own society over here. I mean, there's also a mechanical distinction between commoner and nobility, so... That is true. Speaking of which, maybe we should talk about how that commoner-noble distinction has played out in the history of Changelings. Yes. Among other things. So in the meta plot of Changeling, uh, there are conflicting ideas about how they originally formed, uh, but the general idea is that they've been around for as long as humanity has dreamed, possibly longer. The Kiths originated in human dreams and took humanoid form. So things like uh, the Red Caps are dreams of hunger and the Slua are dreams of creepy crawly things in the night, and the Puka are the dreams of mischief and... Uh, or actually, no, I take that back. The Puka are dreams of fine, upstanding citizens who would never do anything out of order. That That's stretching even the Puka frailty a bit there, I think. <laughs> anyway, um, so in the earliest days, the Kithane were ruled by the Tuajidanan, uh, which are named after the sort of godlike beings of Irish myth. 
and the Tuatha were contested by the Fomorians, who were nightmarish, giant, evil, Lovecraftian things. There were great wars between the two, at the end of which the Fomorians were locked away deep in the dreaming. Some of them not by choice, some of them by choices all of their own. This is also pretty centered on the European context, in, at least in the early materials for the game. The whole conflict is sort of structured around the Irish myths and uh, everything that flows from that. Not long after that, humanity started to become more structured in their civilization and started to turn away from the nasty, brutish life that they had been living. They turned away from dreams to a large extent, and their belief in the Fae began to erode. Not quickly and not everywhere, just here and there, it started to get a little bit harder for the Fae to have the same impact on humans that they had had before. And this was called the Sundering. It's the beginning of the point where banality first started to enter the world and began to dampen Fae magic and glamour a little bit. At that point, the Tuatha departed the autumn world, and the Shi, who are the sort of uh, dreaming-sanctioned nobles of the Kithane, were left in charge. And they ruled among the Kithane in the same way that mortal aristocracies arose in uh, you know, human societies. But despite the phase attempt to kind of keep wonder and belief in them alive, humanity continued to move further and further away from the dreaming. Until finally, we get to the shattering, which was the sort of final break. And most sources point to the Black Death, the bubonic plague outbreak of the 14th century, as the final nail in the coffin. And one argument goes that the horror of that event and the sort of devastation and hopelessness that followed killed off so many dreams uh, along with the people that dreamed them that it was just the definitive split between humanity and the dreaming. The dreaming still exists, it's just that it's not present in conscious humans' lives. It only generally comes to them in moments of inspiration or when they're asleep. Sorry, I needed a drink of water. <laughs> yeah, sorry. yeah. So with the shattering, the vast majority of the Shi fled to Arcadia and the Trods slammed shut behind them. So the commoners were left to fend for themselves on Earth, and that's how they developed the Changeling Way. They took on human flesh as a sort of inoculation against banality. They gave up their fey immortality for reincarnation. They sacrificed some of their power in order to survive in the autumn world, becoming the dual-natured changelings that we, we know and love so well. And that's how things were for several centuries. Uh, the commoners were largely cut off from the dreaming proper, but they managed to keep their society alive, inspired mortals where they could, cultivated dreamers, and generally got by fine without, uh, maybe not as happy as they could have been, but certainly it beat disappearing into a puff of banality. And then in 1969, so fast forward 600 years, the moon landing triggered this surge of wonder and imagination worldwide that was so powerful it cracked open the doors to Arcadia again. And the she arrived on Earth as though not a moment had passed, totally ready to take up their rulership again and lord it over the commoners. And many commoners were unhappy with that because the she had abandoned them and they thought they had done just fine for themselves. So war ensued for several years until a she by the name of David Ardry uh, reclaimed the sword Caliburn, also known as Excalibur, and with it the high kingship of Concordia. 
So he brokered peace between the nobles and commoners and set himself up to rule over the various fey kingdoms that comprised North America. Um, since then, there's been an uneasy peace. The Shi are still mostly ruling those kingdoms, but the commoners at least have more of a voice than they had when, uh, when the Shi were ruling before the Shattering. So there's still feudalism, but it's a little bit more friendly. That's sort of the political aspect oh, of the game. Yeah, just to point, the whole David Audrey thing was in the default setting of North America. So other parts of the world, he wasn't really in charge of that, depending yeah. on which book you read. There was a discussion uh, on Discord recently about whether other kings in other places sort of respected his authority. And I was like, probably not. Well, I think some of them would consider him the High King of Concordia. Well, they they treat him like another king, but... Yeah, you know the king of Hibernia is not going to obey him, or the four kings of Hibernia no. are not going to obey him. I thought oh, I thought Hibernia had a high king as well. I don't think they currently do. I think they would like uh... to have one of their own, but it isn't David Ardry. Although, mm, no, no, definitely not David Ardry. Though, so Ardry is Irish for the high king. So puns. But the world is currently um, changing very quickly, and it makes it difficult to keep up with the sort of changing nature of glamour. Because one of the things about Glamour is that, to some extent, it reflects the times. So in the early editions of the game, there was a little bit of an anti-science, anti-technology vibe that was common to World of Darkness stuff. But certainly in the last 25 years, we've seen all of the things that technology and science can produce, all of the wonder it can produce, uh, which seems to me pretty good evidence for the potential of science to contain Glamour. And changelings have to adapt. It's adapt or die. That's kind of the one of the things they have to struggle with. And they certainly worry that they won't be able to keep up and winter will come and snuff them out forever. There will be a tide of disbelief that just extinguishes them once and for all. And then others hope that a new spring will follow after that because cyclicality is also part of the ethos of the game. So yeah, that's the basic meta plot. There are a few other things that we'll probably get to as we go through the various books, uh, having to do with High King David, his disappearance, the power vacuum and the politics that that entails, other world events that have happened since the game started in the 90s, and so forth. And of course, the most important thing of High King David is uh, all the artists I've seen use him, draw him, used uh, David Bowie as a template. Did they? At least it looks like it. I'm going to have to start doing comparative art. High King, David High King. I mean, it makes sense. Bowie yeah. High King. I mean, David Bowie's even got like sort of a knifey sword-like thing in his name with caliber. And he was indeed the Goblin King. Yes. May you rest in peace. Anyway, that's, uh, that's Changeling. I mean, is there anything else that new players should know? Um, the C20 core book I would recommend as the book if you're looking for which Changeling core book to get. I think it's not that there's not that it's perfect. No book is perfect, but I think it's uh, does a very good job of explaining how to run Changeling. Certainly these days, it's the one to get. Yes. I mean, presumably we won't get to it for a while in our book reviews, but you know. Yes. Yeah, we'll get to the reviews later, but uh, yeah, we'll get to that eventually. In the meantime, if you're looking to get Changeling, don't probably don't want to start with say the first edition or second edition core if you don't have it, and try to interface with what's out there right now also you mentioned the fan supplements uh white wolf there is the storyteller's vault where you can get perfectly legitimate 
fan supplements, many of which are very good. And I believe our other host has written some of them. Oh, gosh. Well, this and that. Yes. But there's, there's plenty of material for Changeling. And uh, we'll help you guide you through that and help you get the most out of your games. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. Yes. So, once again, this is uh, Changeling the Podcast. It's your host, Josh, and uh, also your host, Puka. Yay. And uh, in the meantime, uh, don't let the mists take you over. <laughs> <laughs>